Well, welcome. Um, I would like to call the uh, July 27, 2022 meeting of the Transportation Commission to order. Since we are meeting virtually again this month, I will call the roll. And then if you could answer in the affirmative when your name is called, I'd appreciate it. Brian McGee? Here. AJ Antrim? Here. Thank you. Uh, Rafael Fernandez? Not here yet. Michelle Quinton? Here. Thank you. Patrick Wu? Here. Sri? Bella Morgan, where were we going? Sorry. Here. Thank you. Uh, Vice Chair Faith DeBolt. Here. And Chair Kurt Ahrensfeld, I'm here. Uh, so I think we didn't have a meeting in June. So looking back at the me meeting and minutes for the May 25th meeting, does anybody have any comments on those? Hearing none, um, do we have a motion for approval? I'll make a motion, Kurt. This is Patrick. Thank you, Patrick. Do we have a second? A second. Thank you. All in favor say aye. 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 All opposed? Aye. I'm abstaining because I didn't attend the meeting. <laughs> oh, okay. Well, thank you for your comment. Uh, minutes have been approved. So, um, Franz, do you know if there's anybody out there that wants to comment at this time from the public? Uh, we do not have any public speakers at this time. Okay, great. Thank you. Okay, um, then getting back to the agenda, we have first up um, uh, the uh, important. Uh, agenda item of the comprehensive plan and transportation master plan update for May 22, 2024. And um, I'm not sure if we have with us, but um, Kimberly Trevner and um, Anna Swenson with the city are here to make a presentation on that, uh, launching this uh, important um, work plan item for us. So um, yeah, I will uh, I will pretty much just hand it off to uh, Janice and um, Kim to give the pre give the presentation. Um, so uh, take it away. Great, thank you. And Janice is going to start us off. Janice, I think I saw you talking. At, you were muted though, so <laughs> I'm trying to um, share my screen here. There we go. Just want to make sure that you can see my presentation. Yep, sure can. Okay. Uh, well, thank you for having me. I'm Janice Swenson, uh, senior planner with the Kirkland Planning Department. And I wanted to provide you with an overview of what's planned for the periodic update of the comprehensive plan, the process, the schedule, and then turn it over to Kim for. Um, an overview of what's planned for update of the transportation master plan. And then finally, we'd like your comments on the preliminary scope for the TMP 
and that will um, the TMP update that will evolve and contribute to the update of the transportation, um, the transportation element of the comp plan. So, um, as uh, part of the introduction um, by December. 2024, Kirkland is required to conduct a major update of the comprehensive plan. And okay, let's see, let me stop for a minute. And put things in a larger view. Is that better? Looks good. Okay. Um, all right, let's see. Yes, by 2024, so this is a two-year process, we need to uh, be sure we need to update our comprehensive plan to make sure that it complies with the regulatory requirements of, um, of the Growth Management Act goals, the Washington State Department of Commerce, who reviews our comp plans for, to make sure that they are compliant with the state uh, regional and county requirements. We need to comply with the Puget Sound. We need to be consistent with the Puget Sound Regional Council Vision 2050 Regional Growth Strategy, which includes the Regional Transportation Plan and the King County countywide planning policies. So our horizon year is 2024 or 2044. Um, other cities, some cities are using 2050, but we've chosen uh, the 2044 year uh, to uh, match our 20 year uh, horizon year from when the last update that we uh, did in uh, 2015. So with the last comprehensive plan update, our horizon year was, uh, is, is 2035. So the city, the comprehensive plan, just as a reminder, is a citywide guide for how we, uh, how we as a community uh, manage growth over the next 20 years in terms of land use, transportation, public facilities, and so on. Um, the update process will be an opportunity to reflect the kind of community we aspire to become and create a policy roadmap to achieve that vision. So these, um, so, we need to uh, comply with the regulatory requirements. And then also we'll look at what we wanna do locally uh, from, from the city standpoint. Um, our Kirkland's growth targets, uh, this chart shows our um, 2018 housing and, and 2019 jobs. And also uh, the, based on the current comprehensive plan, the existing remaining housing unit capacity that we have from 2015 to 2035 of 13,352, and then our new additional housing units we need to plan for, for uh, to the year 2044, and then also our new um, additional jobs we need to plan for. And those are based on working with King County and cities on, um, on uh, uh, figuring out what these growth targets are going to be. So we uh, have met with the planning commission and city council 
and um, talked with them about the approach for updating the comprehensive plan and we received um, support for these key themes for the update. And they are advancing social justice, equity, inclusivity and belonging, sustainability, housing options for all and housing affordability, mobility connections to regional transit system and accessibility and resiliency. And that can relate to how we deal with emergencies, what we've learned from the pandemic um, and how we respond to future ones, economic and fiscal planning and smart city initiatives, which include a broad array of things to uh, track and, and look at our performance on transportation, infrastructure, and that sort of thing. And also consistency with the city, um, the city, uh, city council goals. So the, this is just a summary of the uh, objectives that are in your, as an attachment to your uh, staff memo. And so we, uh, these are the key things that we need to accomplish with this update. We, we are looking at using the existing plan as a good foundation for the update. We're not looking at a complete rewrite of the plan. Uh, we need to plan for our housing and employment growth targets. Um, and we will likely, based on our estimates, have uh, the zoning capacity to meet those targets. And a lot of the growth will uh, is planned for being in the station area plan that uh, has just recently been adopted. And we need to, we will plan to conduct a visioning process with the community to have uh, the community assess does the existing vision statement and our guiding principles express the community's values for the desired future or what needs to, what should be changed or added. We need to revise uh, the general elements for compliance with the state and regional requirements and also any functional plans that have been updated since the, the last update, such as the surface water master plan, the parks and recreation open space plan, and then any of the action, transportation action oriented um, um, action plans that have been adopted and Kim will go into that in more detail. We um, also will conduct an EIS, uh, environmental impact statement, and that will help us study um, all growth alternatives in land use and uh, transportation. And we will uh, conduct that with uh, an EIS, uh, uh, getting an EIS consultant. So now I will turn it over to Kim and uh, to talk more about the scope for the transportation master plan. So Great. thank you. Thank you, Janice. Um, so in uh, as part of the comprehensive plan process, we'll be updating the transportation master plan. Um, and so that is a and we'll have our own kind of consultant team on that and we'll be also coordinating with the um, the work evaluating the alternatives for um, through the environmental impact um, through the EIS process. Um, I wanted to talk a little bit about, so the, the transportation master plan is the essentially the, the implementation plan of 
the um, for transportation. It includes all of the the action statements and a and a lot more detail. Um, but what we'll also be doing in parallel through this process is updating what's what we call a transportation element that is included in the comprehensive plan document. And so this is a little bit higher level. It will point to the transportation master plan and they will, they will almost mirror each other um, for the most part. Um, there will be um, some like implementation, there's an implementation section um, in the transportation element of the comprehensive plan, um, but most of the action items will be part of the transportation master plan. And so these two things will, will be happening in parallel. And so just kind of wanted to make sure that um, everybody understands that. And if there are any questions, um, let me know, because that can be a little confusing whether we're talking about the transportation master plan or the transportation element of the comprehensive plan. I mean, that'll start to fold in um, a little bit. Um, uh, a little bit later. Um, Faith, it looks like your hand is raised. Yes, sorry, it's taking me a minute to get unmuted. Um, I'm just curious, uh, either for Janice or Kim, um, uh, how does the EIS scope cover um, like climate change, climate impact elements and kind of get incorporated into our sustainability action plan? Yes, um, one of the key uh, things that we will be working on uh, is incorporating the sustainability master plan that has been adopted and look at those um, and, and integrate that master plan, the sustainability master plan in the comprehensive plan. Now it might be dispersed through several different elements you know, that's what we're thinking about it. Some in the transportation element, some in the land use and environment um, chapter. So again, we will, we would look, we would look at the, how does the, what policies where in the comprehensive plan need to be updated to uh, be consistent with the sustainability master plan. Does that answer your question? And also uh, climate change and yeah, partially. I, I'm I'm just wondering, like EIS, the EIS, oh, EIS specifically. Yeah. Yes. Does it are there components of that effort that yes. are looking at climate impacts? Well, the we have done a lot of that already as part of our climate action plan and the sustainability master plan. So we have a lot of things in place, but we will. Um, David Barnes, who's um, in uh, who's been given the task of implementing the sustainability master plan will um, work on that. And the EIS will assess what we already have on the books or have adopted in our action plans and any new uh, strategy, any new mitigation measures that we recommend that aren't covered by the um, sustainability master plan. And also, so an EIS, the purpose of it is to assess the potential impacts of uh, future of the land use alternatives and, um, and look at all the different elements of the environment. So that could be uh, the natural environment, uh, it could be water, 
sewer. So the potential impacts, environmental impacts of the different growth alternatives. And we don't know what those are yet, but there's usually, you know, three alternatives to evaluate. You know, uh, everything is stays the same, uh, a high-end, you know, growth alternative, and then a mid-level alternative. So we don't quite know what that is. So I hope that it, answers your question. Are greenhouse gas emissions one of the things that are looked at under yes. CIS? Yes. And those are, you know, high level things that we need to implement as part of the sustainability master plan. And uh, we will look at, we will, we are continue to look at those things. Okay, thank you. I think Patrick has. Yeah, I just had a question. I don't know if this is the right timing for it, but um, I was looking through the scope and what was sent out and I was trying to understand where was the public input? Who's responsible for the public input between the, the consultant for the TMP update versus the EIS versus yeah. the comprehensive, the comprehensive plan. plan? Yeah, we are um, we are we have we are just getting under contract a consultant to uh, that to develop. They will design a community engagement plan for the comprehensive plan, which will also include the transportation master plan and any other um, elements of the comp plan. And they are, um, dis and uh, we will have a draft plan, I would say by a draft community outreach plan by say September, October. And so we will use, the idea is to look at innovative ideas that they have to reach a lot of the community that we don't typically hear from. And we, and we will build on what we already do from a community engagement process. We go to neighborhoods um, as part of any um, long range planning project. Uh, we, we do that, we, we go to different community groups and have workshops and uh, a lot of this may need to be virtual, but we'll have a whole toolkit of things. A second part of what this consultant will do is um, they will be reviewing the comprehensive plan uh, policies, the existing ones, and making suggestions from a, for text changes and policy changes that uh, to make the language it will be, I call it an equity lens. Um, and they will make, uh, they will provide us with a guide of when we're writing the comp plan policies that and the, and the TMP for, for that matter on suggested words to use that, that are more inclusive and to members of the community. Yeah, so that's does that answer? Good. Yeah, we can certainly, uh, when we have a draft of that community engagement plan, we can, uh, we, will, we will have it available on the K2044 website and we can certainly send you a copy. Yeah, that's great because you know, like very much, you know, it's not just equity outcomes, but equity process as well. That's right. And mm -hmm. then, um, yeah, so I just want to see how all that ties in because you know the scope wasn't clear in terms of sure. I mean, else is doing the, the, the outreach or that strategies, but sure. are they still on the hook for what part of that are they on the hook for? So sure. Okay. Thank you. Mm -hmm. uh, let's see. 
All right, before um, should I go ahead and switch to the next slide? Um, not quite. Um, okay. I have a couple more things to cover. Sure. Kurt, did you have something else you wanted to? Um, actually, um, um, Janice just mentioned, just uh, answered my question about um, when we might be able to see that, what the form that outreach plan is going to look like. Yeah. We can be sure and um, send that your way when we receive a draft for your input. Awesome. Thank you. Mm -hmm. Great. Um, as part of one of the inputs that goes into developing the alternative scenarios um, is updating our um, transportation modeling. Um, so we look at existing conditions and future conditions. Um, we work with the city of Bellevue on that and um, that run um, a, a model between Bellevue, Kirkland and Redmond. Um, and they've done a lot of work over the last um, many years to um, make that a more multimodal transportation model. And so that'll be um, interesting. We'll report back with you all on. Um, part of this process is to also um, further define um, our level of service to better reflect um, our more ambitious mode split goals. And we're also looking to update our performance measures. Um, we've heard um, from various groups, and I think the Transportation Commission has been one of them, that um, instead of kind of just talking about our progress um, in terms of, you know, how many sidewalks are building every year or two or every five years, kind of what's, what are the outcomes? Are we really, um, are more people actually out walking or bicycling? And so kind of trying to take a look at our, our performance measures in terms of, um, outcomes. Um, that's one of the comments that we've heard. And so um, it's one of the questions I'll we'll be asking our consultant team on helping us guide us through that process. Um, so next slide, please. Um, so continuing on with talking about the scope um, of the TMP update, um, we will be refining the goals and policies. It's not going to be a total rewrite. We do have a lot of very good, well-written goals and policies. A couple of the gaps that we've we've recognized that are missing um, is that our current uh, TMP does not include our complete streets policy. Um, and it also doesn't, um, we need to improve um, how we're talking about and incorporating equity principles. And so those are two big themes of the of refining our goals and policies. We're also gonna be looking at the actions um, that there are a lot of those that have been completed. Some of them may need refinement. Um, just a lot has changed over the last um, period since um, the 2015 TMP was adopted. And then, um, and then continuing to emphasize our, um, what we have currently adopted, which are our modal priorities, which is where as a city, um, we're really focused on um, pedestrians, bicyclists, transit, and vehicles, and kind of in that in that priority order. And just reiterating that and emphasizing that um, since the 2015 TMP was adopted, um, the city has done a lot of work um, and really looking at every mode. And so we have very strong, very good, informative plans. And so a big part of this um, plan update is going to be incorporating those plans into the TMP. Um, and so um, that'll be an interesting process. 
a little bit different than maybe um, past um, TMP processes where you kind of have a blank slate and everybody's trying to figure out through an alternatives process, um, you know, what are, is our 20 year project list? Um, we have very solid direction. Um, and so that kind of transi transitions me to the next slide, um, which is um, our 20 year project list. And maybe I should have mentioned the existing conditions. Um, we'll also be updating, of course, looking at our transit capacity and our truck routes. And um, But uh, in terms of our, um, a big part of this plan is going to be our, the development of the 20 year transportation plan project list. And so um, that'll be largely based on the outcome of our preferred alternative. Um, and then we will be prioritizing projects that'll largely be based on the modal plans. Um, also identifying any additional multimodal intersection improvement projects. Um, it doesn't mean that there is an opportunity for any additional projects. So um, we may identify other projects through this process that may be needed to be included. Um, it does need to be a fiscally constrained plan. So we'll be looking at cost estimates and looking at a balanced financial plan. Um, and so those are kind of the big major elements. Um, but um, so I'll stop there and see if there are any other questions about the scope of the TMP. I think I saw Faith and Kurt, then Patrick. <laughs> hey. Uh, I, um, I was just uh, maybe just a clarifying question. So the, um, all of those other plans that were on the previous slide um, lay out a whole bunch of projects, right? Um, and so are there, are you saying that there are additional projects that, um, you know, actions that could be, that could be coming forward in the tra transportation master plan update too? And that's kind of part of the prioritization. I, I guess I just kind of worry, like, there's been a lot of effort put into these plans and then, um, you know, more projects potentially coming in um, and having to juggle priorities and um, of, of new things. Just would like to hear a little more about that. Sure, I, I think, and, and you, you hit on a good point. This is, these plans are definitely our focus. The city has done a lot of work, a lot of engagement and a lot of planning around these modal plans. Um, and these are really what we, we want to prioritize. Um, and, and fold into this process. And um, they're, you know, depending on, you know, as we go through an alternatives development, um, there could be, we, we may see a gap somewhere, for instance. Um, and that could be an opportunity where um, we would add um, potentially another project or um, um, maybe there are some um, places where we're identifying um, where there's kind of um, some correlation between a couple of the plans and, it, you know, some of that integration process um, can happen during this. Um, and so, yeah. And then also there is a, um, kind of that level of a level of detail, right? So the, the, the transportation master plan may not um, list every single sidewalk 
um, we may have a sidewalk program, um, but not everything is going to be pointed to a program. We'll definitely have, you know, definite projects as well. And so kind of finding that balance a little bit is something that we'll be talking a lot about too. Great. Um, just maybe uh, want to mention the um, transit element. Um, I know that transit took a big hit with the pandemic and then working at home and such. And now the work patterns are starting to shift a bit back a bit, but not necessarily back to where it was before. Um, what do you see as far as the timing on um, sort of reflecting on where the trend is going, where things are, what has happened, what, what's the future bring, and how does that get rolled into the, the TMP? That is a good question. And it has been something, um, as you are probably well aware, um, has we've been talking about this in the context of the transportation, of the TMP update, it has also been a major focus of conversation um, with transit policy. Um, we are um, have had this. Hope I'm not getting to too much detail here, but in terms of where we're where we're modeling, um, we're um, likely decision hasn't quite been made in full, but I'm likely still going to use um, uh, 2019 pre-COVID data um, in the similar from the city of Bellevue and the city of Redmond. Um, I mentioned that there's a, we have the, what's called the BKR model, Bellevue, Kirkland and Redmond model. And um, partly to be consistent with, with what they're doing, um, also to, to stay with the schedule, but there's some level of calibrating um, the numbers to kind of estimate what kind of post COVID conditions might look like. And so there are a lot of conversations about that in general. In terms of transit, um, it's, we're gonna just have to tread carefully. <laughs> um, and, and think through it um, as we move forward. It is, it is very difficult to know, and I don't think anybody has any answers, um, whether you're a transportation model or a planner. Um, nobody really knows what's gonna happen if people are going to return to work. Um, I think there are some assumptions um, that we're working on and um, working with Bellevue and our like the modeling team on about what kind of assumptions can we make about levels of um, of work from home. Um, we, there is a, we do have planned a survey in early 2023 um, to, um, uh, to commute trip reduction survey. Um, and that can, we can, that can help us glean more of that information. Um, so I hope that answers your question. Yeah, nobody I, really knows, but we're we're <laughs> working with a modeling team and um, mm -hmm. anticipating some future surveys, and also looking at um, you know PSRC has you know their household travel survey and that kind of thing to kind of help us better predict. So so maybe you'd, you'd have a couple of check ins then on how things are trending. Sure. Oh yeah, of course. Okay. Thank you, Patrick. I think you're. Yeah, Kirk, I had the exact same kind of question. Uh, I have two part, I had two different questions, but um, just along what you had in mind, Kirk, 
you know, you know, I'm really concerned about, you know, short-term impact, right? Short-term forecast, you know, when they were based on a much rosier, uh, you know, uh, trajectory, you know, pre-COVID, pre-recession you know, that we're ta talking about, especially if these plans are for the next five, seven years in, in reality. So um, my suggestion would be if the, if the scope of work could also include or make sure you reserve some funds or some capabilities to help influence, you know, the, 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 the Bellevue, Kirkland, Redmond, uh, or to support some of the changes, or if we find something that might impact, that might be uh, constraining what we, we want to do or a budget buster kind of thing. Uh, that would be my suggestion for, for us is to reserve some of that scope and monies for, for that kind of support. Um, and then my other question though, is very much going back to the EIS. You know, I can understand that we're, we're starting off with a bunch of different projects and alternatives and then create, going through the EIS process. But um, are we kind of, biasing the, the process going forward with this is kind of what we think it is kind of thing or you know or we can see is there a risk of like things that we had in plans and had, had projected not panning out in terms of the EIS process I guess that's always the case okay and as, as Janice mentioned you know with uh, the EIS process there are um there's kind of a no change, do what we have already have planned um, and kind of what's on the, what are on the books now. And some of the dials could be, you know, um, you know more, more growth in certain areas, even more ambitious in some areas currently, or, you know, more broad, um, you know, another dial could be, you know, um, what were to happen if there, is increased transit service and that part's a little can be challenging because that's you know directed by we we don't we're not a transit service provider but um you know some of some of those dials in terms of growth and and you know transportation focus are um they're not necessarily fixed although we have a pretty good idea of what we want and that does get into the prioritization as well um our some of our plans, um, like our, for instance, our active transportation plan, we have um, bicycle projects that kind of span over the 20 year period as well. Um, and so, you know, how much do these, there's just kind of, those are kind of some of the, the levers that we have to work with and how ambitious are we are with them and how do those get prioritized and what goes into that kind of 20 year projected project list that's in the fiscally constrained plan. So if, oh, I, I think I, I kind of got it. I think so the alternatives would be kind of based on sensitivities towards this, what we already have kind of projected. But so does that mean we start with the TMP, go through EIS and then may have to revise it based on the EIS outcomes. So it's kind of like a, like a yes. iterative kind of loop to it. Yes. Mm -hmm. Thank you. I might just add that you know we will be having touch points with the Transportation Commission, um, giving you status reports. Kim will be giving you status reports, and I can come along as well throughout the whole, you know, the entire process. So yeah, we'll be talking a lot. <laughs> yeah, Faith. I did raise my hand again. That was intentional. I just kind of a further comment on uh, picking up on Kurt and, and Patrick's uh, questions on the 
transit and and just generally um you know it our transportation system over time has largely been oriented around getting people to work centers right <laughs> um and um you know i i definitely get the kind of without better information let's just assume that things will eventually get back to like they were in 2019 but it seems like right now is a really good opportunity to say, hey, the goal is really to reduce car trips in general, not just people commuting to the office. Um, so it just seems like a good opportunity to, to step back and say, um, what can we do to our um, to encourage people to take transit, walk and bike places for any trip, not just you know, looking at, well, we don't know what's going to happen because we don't know if people are going to go back to, you know, these big um, office centers. And so I just, I don't, I don't want us to kind of skip past this opportunity and say, well, because we don't know anything else, we're just going to assume things are going to return back. Um, so I just wanted to throw that out there. Well, that's a very good point. And I'll, um, note that that was also a very big conversation in the recent policy updates with uh, King County Metro. Um, what they saw during COVID was that people that were still taking transit were the everyday, all day trips and not necessarily these peak hour trips. And, you know, for, for Kirkland, we still have some pretty big job centers. Um, but it is, it is a very good point that, um, taking a look at um, and really working with our transit agencies and looking at their data in our city about what they're seeing in terms of that pattern is a good reminder to make sure that we're coordinating with them on some of that data. So yeah, if people are getting used to going to the grocery store, or going to, out to eat or whatever by walking, biking, or taking public transit, then when the time comes that they do start to look to going back to the office, um, maybe it will be more natural for them to take one of those modes. Um, so it just seems like an opportunity to try to get onboard people that aren't currently using those modes. Yeah, hope maybe they've changed their patterns, right? Yeah. Oh, totally. Are there any other questions about the TMP scope? Okay, we have a couple more slides. I'll hand it back over to Janice. Um, oh, Patrick, did you have another yeah. question? Sorry, I just had one quick, uh, I'm kind of a techie kind of guy. So was there any terms of innovations in terms of transportation, you know, like more, you know, from, from a uh, distribution center, delivery services and, you know, TNCs and so forth. Are there any elements of the scope that addresses those kind of innovations or transitions in, in and how traffic patterns and delivery patterns and movements occur? That is a good question. And, and actually it's, it's a good reminder to kind of continue to mention um, technology changes and in, in the scope of work. Um, um, that is something that we'll have to think about how we fold in um, in terms of, um, and you know, we don't necessarily have, um, uh, you know, uh, transportation, management centers uh, necessarily other than our transit centers in Kirkland. You know, I've seen a couple um, examples in other cities of 
um, you know, where you have this kind of hub of transit, but then it's related, then you integrate um, bike share and other, you know, pickup and delivery. And there's a lot of um, opportunity for that. Um, so that is kind of thinking about that and how to incorporate changes. In, and, it, and it kind of gets into, um, we are just talking about changes in travel patterns. Um, there's also a lot of changes in technology that also change travel patterns. And so that's a good reminder to make sure that we're somehow addressing it in the in the plan. Yeah. Those things are a little bit challenging to model. I will mention yeah. that. <laughs> but even having even even recognizing it or voicing it, that that's uh, uncertainty. Yeah. I mean, like, do you build more parking rides or do you make room for more TNCs to get people to the last yeah. mile connection or micro transit? Yes. Yeah. Something along those lines that kind of get us that, that forward-looking view of like how travel pattern. There's some risk in terms of what travel patterns will, how they will change. And do we have the infrastructure to support it? Yeah. Thanks, Patrick. That was a good comment. Yeah. Thank you. So uh, just a couple more slides. I wanted to go um, over the community engagement plan. Uh, we are, we will coordinate with the city manager's office for community engagement and outreach. Uh, that will be for the entire um, comprehensive plan plus the TMP. Um, we have, uh, we're just getting on board Eco Northwest and Broadview Consultant Services. We went through an RFP process. And as I mentioned earlier, they will, their focus is to design a robust community engagement strategy that is equitable and inclusive that the city staff implements. And they will um, provide a guide for updating our policies for consistency with our diversity, equity, inclusion, belonging, five-year roadmap, and uh, provide a guide for us for writing policies. There'll also be some training involved with uh, staff um, on, on that as well and how to um, talk about that with the community. Um, so we're looking forward to this draft plan that the consultants will provide. Um, and the goal is to um, try and focus on, you know, we, we use a lot of tool, tools to reach out to the community now, and we wanna build on those. And um, we will, uh, the goal is to focus on participation with those who have not traditionally uh, participated in a lot of our, come, that come to our public meetings and workshops and that sort of thing. Uh, we will, uh, the goal is to have, provide a variety of in-person or virtual options, you know, depending on the pandemic. Um, and these are just some examples, workshops, open houses, town halls, focus groups, project, we have a project webpage and um, uh, Kim uh, uh, can, provide update to the one on the transportation master plan if she hasn't done that already. Um, and uh, we may, uh, you know, have uh, put up in the city hall lobby similar to what we did for the station area plan um, with boards and, you know, you know, just we have listservs. I mean, there's just, just a whole list of things that that we do and we will do. Uh, we will have uh, meetings with boards and commissions. Um, but Brian, it looks like you have your 
hand up, something related to community engagement? Yes. Um, and like when we think of community engagement, I'm, you know, definitely boards, commissions, the residents mm -hmm. of Kirkland, sure. business owners of Kirkland mm -hmm. will, will be really important. When we think of transportation, we've talked a lot in the past about how there's a huge percentage split in between people that commute to work in, you know, in Kirkland versus live in Kirkland. And so there's mm -hmm. a lot of people that use our transportation network that come from outside the city. That's right. That's right. Do we have a kind of clear approach on how we're going to engage those people who may not live here, but may work here and be looking for ways to have input to the transportation system and yeah, just overall point. engagement? That is a great point. We should look for strategies to uh, have that discussion with the commuters versus the um, people that live in Kirkland. So we'll have to figure out, I'm taking notes one, one way that we could do that is um, we work with our um, employers that are, um, that are, that are mm -hmm. our CTR employers. Yes, that's true. Um, and so we can reach out to them um, to reach out to their employees. Um, and then there's also th things that are simple, like putting uh, flyers on our transit stops mm -hmm. um, and, uh, and that type of thing. And so, but thank you. It's a good point. Well, that's one of the things we uh, want to hear from you or some suggestions that you might have. Um, Kurt? Yeah, um, so I just had a question on, you know, with like, for example, the station area plan um, could have um, the growth that's associated with that could have some pretty dramatic impacts on school construction and bus and um, commuting to, those, to and from the schools. Mm -hmm. um, how is that being scoped out in, in this process? Uh, as part of the station area plan? Or no more as the transit TMP and the, oh, the TMP. Yeah, yeah. Right. Yeah, that's another good point to it's, include. Yeah, I'm not sure we have a great answer for that right today, Kurt, but it's a good no, question. We no. can follow up on that. That, mm -hmm. that seemed to be a pretty um, big point in terms of folks that are tracking the station area plan and mm -hmm. particularly Lake Washington High School and schools around that area. Mm -hmm. Just how much the, with the, all the growth in the, you know, the, um, in the, in that immediate station area plan, how is that going to be addressed? And that's going to obviously have some pretty big impacts or increases in traffic uh, associated with those schools, perhaps. I don't know for sure, but it seems like it would. Yes. So coordinating more with the school districts on their long-range plans. Yes, yes. Mm -hmm. Thank you. Faith? Yeah, I was going to add, um, Kimberly said employers, and um, I think that's a, a good one. Another one I was thinking about as far as just kind of the um, typically kind of underrepresented groups, um, you know, maybe uh, like the renters, people in, yes. you know, multifamily buildings and um, there's tends to be a lot of overlap, but could be its own mutually exclusive group of kind of the lower to middle income groups. And uh, I think especially for the latter, if there's some way to offer, you know, some subsidy for participating, recognizing they might be having to miss work to participate and or childcare, um, recognizing that they might have to be um, dealing with 
uh, uh, family, um, but some way to be able to allow them to be engaged if they want to be, but can't because of other obligations. Yes, that is exactly, you know, the sorts of things that we're going to be looking at with our community engagement plan. Let's see, AJ. Uh, I think kind of uh, piggybacking on uh, the idea of lower income folks and renters and uh, those types of stakeholders, um, mm -hmm. that there's the intersection then of lower income and renters who work here but live outside of the area mm -hmm. uh, and doing what we can to make sure that their needs are also considered is important. So I'll, I'll just kind of add on to that. That's um, you know, then maybe not necessarily the, the large employers that are kind of the easy ones to engage in, but you know, maybe more of the the um, smaller businesses. And so that's that's hard. Yeah. <laughs> There's a lot more of those to have to engage with. Yes. Okay. Well, uh, with that, I'll move on here just to uh, talk about um, timeline and project phasing. This was in your memo. It's very um, general, but it gives you an idea of where we're at now. We and we're and the different phases of the process. Uh, we are, you know, we are in the process right now of gearing up for the capacity analysis and developing the community engagement plan. We have organized um, interdepartmental staff teams to work on each element and we'll be kicking that off soon. One of the first steps will be to scope out, uh, take a general uh, review of each element and see uh, the scope of changes that are required that are mandatory to be addressed in each element and those we want to do and um, that needs to be done by the end of September. We want to have a visioning process in the fall ideally so that you know that's coming up awfully quickly and the goal of the visioning process is again looking at our vision statement um, our guiding principles, really introducing the comp plan update to the community. What are some study issues that they want us to address with each element, whether it's housing, transportation, and uh, so on. And then in the winter of 2022, uh, we will focus on a draft vision statement and we will start getting into more detail with review and revising of the elements um, next year. And we'll, um, one of the next steps, key steps will be, Kim and I will be working together on drafting the RFP for the uh, Transportation Master Plan Consultant and the EIS. 
And then we're looking at uh, 2023 to prepare the draft plans and uh, the TMP and EIS for the review. There's usually a draft EIS and a final EIS. There's an opportunity for, for public review and, and comments by the public. And then the Planning Commission holds public hearings um, and the, uh, a public hearing um, and then makes a recommendation to city council for the final draft plan. But you will see the draft um, TMP and the draft transportation element along the way. So, but all in all, we need to complete the plan by December, 2024. Ideally, I'm, we're trying to push that back so that the comp plan is adopted in more like the spring of 2024 so that we have time to send the, the final plan to, well, we usually send a draft to the Department of Commerce for review 60, 60 days before adoption. And then they, they must review the plan for, they will review the plan for final adoption too afterwards. So I hope that explains the process. Um, let's see. So just, I think you've answered a lot of the questions we had for you tonight. Uh, I guess uh, we wanted your overall input on the key themes for the process, what your expectations are for community engagement process. And I think you've mentioned some things uh, that we should include. If you have ideas for a logo or tagline, um, we'd like to hear it. Uh, what we used last time was uh, 2035, um, your, your voice, your vision, your future. We can you adapt that and put in, uh, you know, K, K for Kirkland 2044. That's just one, that's one idea. Um, we weren't, sometimes you can spend a lot of money uh, with a consultant um, figuring out a tagline, but we're open to your suggestions and the community engagement consultant too. And then you gave us your, um, some of your responses about the scope of work. So uh, with that, I will end my presentation and we, you know, we'd like to have your input on any of those questions. So any, oh, Faith? I, I have, maybe it's more of a, a clarifying question on that last slide. You kind of show those different stages mm -hmm. and I'm wondering, and maybe you said this and I just missed it because I got mm -hmm. hooked into something you said, but um, kind of when you expect uh, to come back to the commission yeah, we haven't really, I haven't gotten into detail uh, and with Kim on, you know, specific dates yet, but that's something that we need to do. I don't know, Kim, do you have thoughts on? We, yeah, we that? haven't talked dates yet, um, but I imagine we'll likely be checking with you fairly often. Yeah. Um, I imagine there'll be quite a lot of touch points. Yeah, I would um, guess for every meeting, you could certainly you know, update the commission on what's happening. 
Yeah, I was just thinking if there's kind of certain milestones like you showed yeah. um, there that uh, we don't have that yet. Uh, we can we'll get into more detail uh, uh, late this year or early next year on kind of keying up the the meeting dates. One thing Janice mentioned, and mm -hmm. our next step is to um, uh, procure a consultant and, mm -hmm. you know, and they'll help us with those particular milestones and, you know, but there are, they're, you know, yes. there are a lot of touch True. points with the public engagement and with the alternatives development and with the kind of the refinement of goals and policy. And so there will be likely um, kind of themed um, topics that we'll bring back to you on um, as we as kind of we as we move through the process, will there be any opportunity to meet jointly with the planning commission, transportation and planning commissions? Yes, that's always an option. Yes, I'd like to do that. Okay. Hurt. Yeah, um, I just wanted to check and see if um, Michelle or uh, Shree, if you've had anything, any thoughts on this process yet. Any questions? Everyone else asks such detailed questions. I'm good. Okay, thanks. How about you, Shree? I think you're muted. Maybe. You have a unique perspective as a student. No. You're very quiet. <laughs> I can barely hear you. I was going to say I was good with um, what I heard so far. Okay. Great. Okay. All right. Well, thank, thank you very you. much. Thank really you. look forward to working with you all in the next day through this process. Yeah. I still have a, a, a question slash comment just sort of on those last questions. Um, and that was kind of, so I was in my question about the EIS and how they're um, looking at greenhouse gas emissions. Um, just thinking about, uh, you know, one of the things that, that I bring up a lot is that it seems like all of our um, kind of major uh, plans tend to in project uh, development seem to assume um, growth in car trips, growth in, and I just kind of wonder if we, you know, if the EIS is looking at GHGs, if, if, if there is, um, if those then impose limits on what is allowable for growth in car trips. And, you know, you might say, well, transportation is being electrified. Everybody's going to get EVs by the, by 2040 or whatever, but, um, our grid won't be, um, uh, elect or, um, fossil fuel free by that time. So it's not as simple as we're going to electrify transportation, then everything's clean. PSE will still be using gas fired power plants, um, till probably 2045. So, um, just kind of wondering, like, if that's one of the things that will be coming into consideration when we're looking at um, just the different modes and in what works in meeting our sustainability goals. Yeah, I'll pass on your all your comments to David Barnes, who's 
um, really the lead um, planner for the sustainability um, efforts with the city. And we'll keep that in mind. Thanks. Okay. Thank you. Other questions? That's a great presentation, both of you, Janice and Kim. Thank Looking you. forward to hearing more as the, everything develops here. And I know, Kim, you really detail-oriented, so uh, I'm sure you'll keep us busy. Oh, you can plan on it. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. All right. Um, Joel, do you have anything to add right now before we move on to the next agenda item? No, thank you for all your comments. It's really, um, really great to have your feedback early and we can integrate that into the scope and what we're thinking about as we work on the schedule and budget. So thank you. Okay, all right. So um, moving on now to the next item. Um, that's the, um, we talked about this last time, is the 2022-2023 Transportation Commission Work Plan. We, um, we recently, um, uh, ran that past the study uh, study session with the city council. And um, Joel, you want to take it up there and see where we go? You bet. So I am going to do the switcheroo on the um, point, see if I can get that to work. So is everybody seeing the, wait a sec. Are you seeing the slides or are you seeing my presentation? I see your title plate, title page slide, yes. Just the title page slide, okay, mm -hmm. great. So I um, wanna just provide a little bit of background real quick on where we're at and then get, um, get uh, kind of some final feedback from the commission before we head back to council for final action. So, um, wait a second, there we go. Um, so the council study session agenda, we, um, for those of you who were there, you heard, kind of heard this already a little bit, but um, we went over, kind of reviewed with the council, uh, like we do each time, the powers and duties of the commission, uh, went over the work plan layout, which has over the years been pretty positively received by council. It's actually uh, something that was adopted by the um, planning department. Uh, they actually use something similar for their work plan now. And then recently after the meeting, I heard from um, our deputy city manager that the city of Issaquah was very interested in how we laid this out. So um, it's worked pretty well. Um, and then I wanna talk a little bit about the proposed work plan updates that uh, I that I made based on what I heard at the commission and get, I mean, at the study session and get feedback from the, from the uh, commission. So um, what uh, I heard was, of course, a really big thank you um, from a couple of council members. And um, I'd like to echo that too, is just the, the, the um, support and the, the commitment of the commissioners to do this on your own time and, and help us make our transportation system better. 
uh, general support for the proposed work plan, uh, basically both by what they said and what they didn't say, which was they didn't say a whole lot. So I figured that's um, positive. Um, there were a few, few comments by Councilmember Pascal in particular about the importance of transportation safety, uh, particularly efforts to lower vehicle speeds. That was something that I that I spoke to and the chair and vice chair spoke to during their our presentation, but it really wasn't in the work plan. So I tried to correct that. And then also as part of that support for the neighborhood traffic control program, which has uh, been um, fairly minimal over the last few years due, due to some retirements and that kind of thing. So, so what I've tried to do with this slide is uh, snip out the sections that changed and um, highlight them. So the, the remainder of the plan, basically the work plan remained the same, but I uh, did, uh, I am proposing to add uh, a specific call out for the citywide speed limit policy. That will be a 2023 action plan item. And that will be to go in and update our current speed limit uh, setting policy, and then actually also evaluate um, speed limits on um, streets throughout the city and make adjustments or you know at least make a plan and start making adjustments as um, as is necessary through um, you know through an appropriate process. Also looking at the neighborhood traffic control program and how we can um, revise and update that to make it more of a you know modern, look at neighborhood traffic control. Our current program is very focused on um, speed humps and a process uh, to, uh, to get buy-in from the community to, if a community wants to, to put um, items in the roadway, which can be uh, certainly, uh, we learn over and over again from our neighborhoods, very controversial um, for some and not controversial for others. Uh, but also looking at that program through kind of a different perspective of, uh, of a broader, you know, safety context and look at that in coordination with our neighborhood greenways program and also some of the other things um, that we're doing in, uh, in neighborhoods around um, speed and safety and um, the importance of feeling safe and being safe in uh, getting people out um, walking and biking and enjoying our transportation infrastructure for you know primarily transportation of course um, and then uh, also wanted to call out the Lake Washington Boulevard promenade that um, that is a specific project that will be going on during the second half of this year where the commission will be visiting the commission a couple times to talk about that before we report back to the city council on, um, on uh, some different alternatives and options that they can decide on how they would like to move forward with that project. Um, it's more of a, it's not a big community outreach effort. It's more of trying to um, set a, a scope um, and get, get some guidance from the commission and council on, kind of the scale of that project. Is that a 
Is that a small you know, tactical urbanism project? Is it something that's more bold and ambitious? Um, and before we have a, a broader conversation with the community about that project, we feel like it's important to have a little bit more um, thought put into that. So that's something that we'll be getting the commission's input on here over the next um, six months or so. Then um, made some updates to the Vision Zero safe, uh, uh, and safety uh, work plan item to highlight um, that we were some of the, I used some of the language right out of the, the Vision Zero action plan around um, the, the use of, um, of uh, data analysis and design and operations, um, which are two, you know, three of the big themes in the um, Vision Zero plan and a couple, a couple of different ways that we're um, in, that we'll be tackling that. And then uh, I uh, am suggesting that we move the work plan item. It used to be up in the, uh, we own these and certainly the commission still owns that item, but it is an ongoing item that uh, is also seemed more appropriate to be in um, housekeeping, but um, that it's something that we do very regularly and we, you know, we have to do. Um, and one item related to that was um, that it stated that we do an annual work plan and, um, and that, that the commission and council meet annually. Uh, that's really, you know, not kind of what we've tackled. And I'll talk a little bit more that, about that in a minute. That's not how we've done it. And um, it's not actually how uh, other, like the planning work plan um, that planning commission adopts is a, a two-year work plan. And so we're proposing to, to line up with that and line up with what we actually do, which is a, a two-year work plan. And then finally, I just made one small uh, modification to the the data collection performance monitoring item is I, I added the word multimodal at the beginning to highlight the importance of that that is that is really why that's important um you know we there's a long history in the uh, transportation planning engineering profession around um counting vehicles and that type of thing but we're trying to go beyond that with this um, particular item so um with that I would, uh, we could pause here and I'd be happy to um, take any comments or discussion on the proposed changes if I missed anything or if there's other um, modifications folks would like to make. Michelle, any question? I just a clarification. I, I missed what was the change that was made to the neighborhood traffic control program line? Oh, that one is actually a, a, a new a new line item that was added. So in the version that went to council, it wasn't in there. And that was highlighted as something that um, should be looked at rein, you know, reinvigorating. Um, and that lines that's also something that um, and at the same time, it was talked about from the perspective of you know, speed reduction and those types of, types of things. So we're looking at not only reinvigorating that program, but looking at how we can update it to make it a more um, useful 
um, a more effective tool in our toolbox of our current plans. So bring in different ideas other than yes. speed bumps. Okay. Okay, great. Patrick. Great. Hey, I used to work on that neighborhood traffic control plan program. <laughs> so, but I really like how you're you're changing it. And I, I like like the less emphasis on speed bumps and while looking at a broader view of things. So kudos on that. Um, my question was actually Constable Pascal brought it up also on the on the call. So was the looking at are we keeping up with this is the budget keeping up with the maintenance of transportation facilities and infrastructure out there? I didn't know if that's in our purview, but I'm really a big fan of make sure we maintain what we have already before we try to do you know, build more stuff, right? So yeah, we have to be sustainable in terms of our infrastructure investments and, and changes. So I didn't know if that is our purview or was that supposed to be something different or? It is, um, there is a line item in the, uh, the current, um, work plan around maintenance as a um, as a one of the items that we respond and advise on these kind of as necessary um, and it is something that the city is um, and Julie may want to talk to the speak to this in a little bit more detail but it is something that the city is trying to emphasize more as as we add a significant amount of infrastructure, not only the same old sidewalks and, um, and bike lanes and, and, um, and streets, but also as we expand into new areas of technology and treatments and those kinds of things, um, that all has very real implications for um, everything from what our crews can do to um, if we add a new um, type of implement, um, uh, let's say we have three kinds of streetlights um, and we add a fourth. Well, at the maintenance center, we need to find space to, to keep a couple of spares because believe it or not, people run into streetlights and knock them down and um, we need to be able to, to replace them in a timely fashion um, because they're part of you know, our safety, you know, one of the things we do for safety. So, you know, those are the kinds of things that we are trying to be more mindful of. Um, and uh, actually also take into account as we add CIP projects, the implications they have on increasing our maintenance costs over time. So I don't know, Julie, do you have anything else you wanna add on that? Captured it well. I think um, uh, overall, I think the city is doing a fairly good job with our PCI, right, pavement condition index. That's kind of a score we get on how we're doing, I would say, um, on our arterials and collectors and fairly well. Falling behind on neighborhood streets, I mean, those streets need complete rebuild at, at the, and some of you I hope none of you have are living on one of those streets, but I mean, some of those streets are, are down to gravel and, and they're really in poor shape. So we know that's an area of focus we have to um, spend some time getting caught up on. Um, but are we really keeping up? I mean, to be frank, I know 
we're well, not able to keep up and we are going to be looking at some additional um, budgetary requests as a result of that. Um, and I, I would say when the city, city, my observation, the two, two and a half years I've been here is the city did a pretty decent job, I think, scaling on some basic staffing when we annexed. However, I think the scaling up is still, we're still needing to scale up, frankly. And we are just not keeping up with demands um, that we're having from the community. We are not keeping up with the growth we're seeing in the assets that we've acquired. Um, there, there's just a lot on our plate. So uh, I appreciate Councilmember Pascal asking that question. I, I, I really do because that's an area, hopefully our council will see this in the next uh, capital improvement plan, but an area where we really have been a bit silent is whenever we add a CIP project we didn't estimate, well, what is the maintenance cost? Obviously, there are maintenance costs to all the things we add, all the sidewalks, all the trees we add. Um, and so we, we, we know this is an area we have to improve in. Um, so I, I, I think there is more for us to do here, but we probably have to dial it as opposed to a switch. I say that because there's just the other e issue is it's very difficult to hire people right now. <laughs> yeah. Example, yeah. Right. Yeah. yeah. Who are, <laughs> no. in, who are um, we're competing for the same talent, especially if you're competing for engineers. We've had I just learned today we had six hits or clicks or views on our PE positions and no applicants. So it's been really tough. And then many of you know, re remember the last couple of years with COVID, we just haven't been able to do our um, annual red, yellow, white curb painting. So we're outsourcing that. And so that striping contract has gotten bigger, um, but we just could not find seasonals. Even though we bumped up the pay, couldn't find seasonals. So, um, so the maintenance of our curbs and our are, are way behind two years behind so anyway it's a long yeah. story to say <laughs> we're not keeping up <laughs> yeah i guess i guess my my concern is much more is you know understanding you know there's you know things happen but more are we tracking the right are we actually capturing monitoring the right things are our performance metrics reflective of what we as community see i mean for me i ride my bike i see a lot of glass you know when's the last time you got swept uh, you know, a sweeper went by on, on this stretch of road and so forth. So to me, perhaps if there's room for, and that's just looking at PCI, right? Average PCI or you other, know, other, other indicators, other indicators and, and so forth. So at least, at least we can go back and be informed, right? About, yes. yeah, you know what? We need more money because look, these are what we're tracking, we're trending. And then we had a conversation before in the last meetings about the average doesn't get you to the lowest or the highest, you know, the, the best or worst conditions sort of things. But you know, perhaps that's something we can look at is are we, you know, we're talking about bike ped, but are we measuring metrics for maintenance that reflect those modes, for instance? Yeah, no, that's fair. I know there is, um, I don't know if you're familiar, but I know Joel does, uh, Blair and it does a, a infographic, but I'm just about to make this assignment to our management analyst to create what you're just talking about, Patrick, is a, 
and, I, and council member pasquel mentioned this too is we really do need a streets and grounds dashboard so we can really look at that from just more data as opposed to an anecdotal so we're, right. we'll be right. working on that okay. if you're interested in taking a look at it i can work with joel to get that scheduled in front of you oh absolutely you know we're here to provide feedback or some insights if you need okay. help yeah definitely willing. good idea thank you thanks for yep. your interest on maintenance <laughs> yeah Hey. Yeah, and I, I'll just add on to that. And I think what Patrick kind of started off with saying there was um, maybe elevating in the work plan the importance of maintenance. Um, so I like that what you just talked about, having the opportunity to contribute to things like uh, what metrics you're looking at. But I also uh, really feel like it's important if you're bringing in maintenance, um, when you're looking at uh, CIP, um, then to me, that's uh, Transportation Commission should also have an opportunity, you know, if it's a, a major project and something could go one way or the other because of a maintenance impact that that we should, you know, have opportunity to comment. Um, so it, I think there's multiple reasons why we want to make sure that we have um, maintenance at you know the prioritized correctly in the in the work plan, showing up in the right way. And you probably already know this, so I'm saving the obvious. I mean, sometimes the really um, impactful amenities that the community would like to see, you know, has an adverse impact on the maintenance side. But if, but I think your point's a fair one, meaning we'll sh share those trade-offs with us. I've heard this from council members as well. Share those trade-offs with us and let us give you feedback about that because if the trade-off is, wow, this, this ends up taking, you know, an additional thousand staff hours to maintain this, well, let's talk about getting you the staff you need or whatever the case might be because the community really wants this amenity or something like that. But we are oftentimes our owners are making um, decisions to keep our ongoing costs low. We are. Yeah. Other, que other questions or comments? Great, uh, great update there, Joel. Um, it seems like it's in pretty good shape now. I was wondering if uh, we should entertain a motion to advance this to council. Um, so, one more, I have one more thing I wanted to go over. Sorry about that. For the, oh no. The, um, the pause. Um, so, um, I, what I can do is I will go back and look. Um, at a few spots where it may be appropriate to add a reference to maintenance. And um, I could see on a couple of the CIP related items and um, highlight that. So that's good mm -hmm. feedback. Um, and then one other thing that I wanted to talk oh, there, talk a little bit about is um, a potential modification to um, the Kirkland Municipal Code related to the powers and duties of the commission to um, 
to true up what we do in practice with what is in the um, what is in the the code. So the code um, that was uh, approved around 2014, 2015, I believe, um, uh, was, um, or maybe, I guess, gosh, it says 2016 there actually, um, early 2016, was to update, they made some fairly up, um, significant updates to the, the KMC related to the um, commission. And one of those was to attempt um, to do an annual work plan. Um, and it never has really worked out that way. It, the developing the work plan is a, a work item into itself. And given the amount of time that the, the commission spends on it, it's kind of like um, there's a reason the city does a biannual budget um, because yeah, if we did an annual budget, we'd just be doing budgets all the time. Um, so uh, that's what I'm proposing here. Uh, in in actuality, it wouldn't be um, wouldn't impact. We wouldn't have feel any difference. It would just be doing what we're already doing. So um, I still I wanted to get the the commission's uh, you know feedback on this to see if there were any. Uh, any potential concerns, but also just, you know, I didn't want to go out and do this without the commission being aware of it. And um, this is something that I'd just like to get done and and um, clean up. So with that, uh, just finish up with uh, next steps. So the, the proposal is to um, get this um, work plan all you know, put together and in shape to go to the council on September 6th for them to take a final action. Okay. Sounds great. And do you have, you have, you have uh, any questions on anything else that we need to do for you uh, to get that going in that direction? No, I think I'm, I, you know, good feedback and I think we're get pretty good. good. Okay. So that's, that's the end of my presentation. Thank you. <laughs> Thanks, Joel. Okay. Joel, are you thinking the next time when you present the work plan to the council, you'll include that code amendment? That's what I'm thinking is do it, do them at the same time. Good idea. Yeah. Okay. And it's speak now or forever hold your peace, right? Because we don't have another meeting before September 6th. <laughs> Correct. Yep. <laughs> yeah. So are we, are you voting on the, the work plan too, or are we, you're making modifications and then we're going to vote on it? No, I would, um, we we could potentially you know i guess you know frankly my preference would be to um have the latitude to make a few changes to mm -hmm. to add in uh, the commission's comments around maintenance and make sure that we're um both capturing the need for it but also the need for the the that it needs to be uh evaluated in a broader context than just because it costs more, we're not going to do it kind of thing. Yeah. Um, and uh, and so I would make a couple of changes related to that, and then we would uh, take it back to the to the commission, I mean, back to the council for their action reflecting that. Okay. Sounds good. Thank you, Joel. Okay. Great. Thank you, everybody. And then kind of rolling from that into um, the next item um, is – 
is Iris here tonight? You know? No, I'm gonna um, I'm gonna fly solo here, and hopefully I um, um, hopefully it'll be okay. Yeah. Okay. Well, this is on. Uh, you're gonna update us on the school safe zone safety camera program expansion. So. Yeah. So this is something that's been. Um, I have another presentation here. So let me get that going quick. Okay, so, um, and once again, I just wanna confirm you can see the, the slide page. All right, great. Um, so I uh, wanted to talk, uh, just to provide a, an update on what's going on with the school zone safety camera program expansion for the commission. Um, so I am gonna, provide a little bit of background information on the existing pilot program, um, talk a little bit about the program expansion and then the, the schedule that's coming up. Um, some of this, if, if any of you are avid council watchers um, uh, and you saw this back in February, there is some, this is a little bit of a rerun, but, um, but uh, for the, so starting out, um, so the existing pilot program uh, really had uh, two goals. And the primary one was to slow traffic speeds um, and improve safety for school children. And like many of you probably know, um, the little graphic uh, that's on the right half of the screen um, shows how there is a huge difference between um, how bad a uh, collision is um, if that collision between a vehicle and uh, you know a walker or a biker happens at 20 miles per hour and it happens at 40 miles per hour. Um, obviously, we don't want those collisions to happen at all, but um, in the but if they do, um, the outcomes are way way better if uh, vehicles are slowing at a, a slower speed. So that's that's the the um, that is the primary focus that we're that we're looking at um, for this program. Um, the secondary benefit, of course, is that if people um, are and families and their child their school age children feel safer um, and are are you know at lower risk, um, hopefully there that would encourage more people to use alternative modes to get to school. So. That is what we see as a, as a secondary benefit of this program. So there's two, the, the pilot that was implemented, gosh, three years ago now, um, is at two schools or two school zones. Um, one is on 132nd Avenue Northeast in the Kingsgate neighborhood, and that covers two school zones, one for John Muir Elementary and Kamaikin Middle School. And the other one is in uh, South Rose Hill at um, Rose Hill Elementary School on Northeast 80th Street. So with those existing um, uh, pilots, we did, um, we did some data collection uh, in 2018 related to those locations. Um, 
In 2019, we updated signage, including adding school zone flashing beacons because neither of those school zones had flashing beacons. So what that means is that in the old, you know, the before that time, they said um, 20 mile per hour, 20 miles per hour when children are present, and um, and afterwards it said 20 miles per hour when um, you know when the beacon is is flashing. So uh, then we did a uh, data collection after those beacons were in place and the updated signage in May of 2019. And then at the beginning of the 2019-2020 school year, the cameras were activated and then they were deactivated in March of 2020 due to the COVID-19 pandemic. Um, and then reactivated in, in February of 21, we did uh, data collection in May of 21, which isn't exactly you know perfect. We'd like to, it would be not would have been nice to do it on an entire school year and all those kinds of things. But um, you know it was what we had, and um, so we collected an, our after study in May of 21, um, and then we also are doing ongoing data collection in May of um, 2022, and we will continue to monitor these locations into the future. So I will say that I don't have the 2022 data on these uh, slides, but it, this does indicate um, where we were at um, in our kind of different scenarios there. And these are the percent of vehicles exceeding 20 miles per hour. So uh, you can see that before the flashing beacons went in, uh, we had very, um, we had very low compliance during the, the time around the, around the beginning and uh, end of school. Um, once we put in the flashing beacons, we got a significant reduction in um, speeds and an in, in increase in the number of people that were following the rules. And then um, after implementing the um, school zone safety cameras, we saw in both locations a um, a, a additional reduction in uh, vehicles exceeding 20 miles per hour, the 20 mile per hour speed limit. And um, like I said, that those were, you know, uh, we really don't have a full year of school zone safety cameras being in place and people really getting, you know, becoming aware of them and um, changing habits. Um, so we will, like I said, we'll continue to monitor that. So. Um, based on this, we, we felt like the, the, the program was a success. Um, you wouldn't necessarily do it at every school, but at schools where you have you know, high volumes and um, fairly low compliance um, of the speeds, um, it seems like a, a good treatment. So what we did is we um, did a school zone expansion evaluation. This was at the request of um, city council. And so we went uh, based on, and this was something that they really wanted to do and implement at additional schools at the beginning of the 2022-2023 um, uh, um, school year. And so we, it was because of when we need to do data collection, it was a little bit, um, a little bit uh, compressed, but um, 
we did go back and look at uh, all of the different elementary schools and um, or the elementary school zones. And in some cases that, um, of course, took in, um, in, in middle schools as well. And we looked for locations where we had a history of speed, um, history of, we looked at um, history of speed and volume data, um, looked at site conditions, including if there were uh, flashing beacons already there, and then ongoing complaints. And we identified four school zones that we felt were some of our um, key uh, major offenders that we, we thought would be good candidates. So those were A.G. Bell on Northeast 112th Street, the series of uh, schools on 84th Avenue Northeast on Finn Hill, uh, Lakeview Elementary um, at State and 68th, and then Peter Kirk Elementary on 15th Avenue and 6th in the Norkirk neighborhood. So we did um, some data collection on those, and we found that um, that uh, so this is this is basically a summary of what we found. We found that um, really the the 84th Avenue uh, school zones and then the Lakeview Elementary school zones had um, both the most volume and uh, the highest percentage of uh, of those vehicles that were exceeding the um, the in this case we we're looking at 26 miles per hour because that was um, that's where we by pol policy we set the where um, folks actually start getting um, a, a ticket for um, exceeding the the speed limit we we um, between 20 and 25. Um, it's just a, a, a margin of error. And so what we did is we decided that the, um, the 84th Avenue Northeast and then the, the Lakeview, the southbound on State Street and the westbound on 68th were the, um, the, best, uh, the best candidates for expanding the program. And um, so what we're, rec what we're moving forward with is um, a speed radar camera at 84th Avenue Northeast southbound near 141st Street, and then a northbound camera near 126th Place, which is south of all three schools, um, trying to do intermediate um, school zone, school speed enforcement proved to be quite challenging. And um, additionally, people might end up getting, you know, multiple trips in the multiple tickets in a single trip and stuff like that. So, um, and the vendor that we used um, had some uh, concerns about the logistics and uh, of that as well. And then at Lakeview Elementary, um, those same locations that I mentioned earlier, State Street southbound um, in the vicinity of 7th Avenue South and then Northeast 68th Street um, near 106th Avenue Northeast. Um, so, in order to implement this program, we've been uh, updating signage at both schools. That's included. That's um, included our sign shop, um, installing about sixty new signs with concrete bases and steel posts. Um, and then that um, sixty is inclusive of the one hundred and thirty sign, one hundred and thirty signs, which is basically replacement of um, 
of many signs that were didn't meet our you know current retroflectivity standards, new signs. And this is particularly um, important up on Finn Hill in the annexation area because um, the annexation area, um, the King Old King County standard was um, wood posts. And uh, they, of course, don't last forever. And um, we lose signs. Um, and so when we were up there, we decided we would just go through this whole area and bring everything up to city standards. So they're all now um, steel posts, um, concrete bases. And then in many cases, this, the school zones, although you know not deficient, were kind of inconsistent. And, um, and so we've cleaned up all of the, the signage for the school zones. We've also sent out a mailer uh, to 5,500 plus addresses. We did some door-to-door -door outreach along State Street in particular because the new signage that was putting, put in on State Street had has some fairly significant impacts um, to basically people's front yards, like what they see out their front windows is now a sign. Um, and so we wanted to make sure we were, you know, it, um, outreaching to them early. And then, um, and then we uh, also notified the school district and are working with them. And uh, so just finally, we're working with our vendor with the goal of activating this expanded program at the start of the 2022-2023 school year. We will be uh, implementing it with a warning period. We did that with the uh, two initial um, school zones, and that was um, that was a um, it was a good seemed like a good way to go and got people aware that we were implementing further aware that we we're implementing the program. And so we'll be doing the a similar thing here. The warning period will not apply to the um, the operational uh, school zone cameras. It'll just be a, be applied to the new ones. So um, just wanted to make the commission aware of that and uh, happy to answer any questions. Michelle? Uh -oh. um, so I have no doubt that the, uh, the, these work. I, I live near Rose Hill. They definitely work. Um, I, I guess, you know, I, I, when I think about this, like, and it was funny because you mentioned at the end about like, we have to tell people there's going to be new signs, right? Because it's really ugly. And it just feels like another way to solve this problem is through traffic calming measures, right? Um, where people, they're not slowing down because there's something flashing in their face. They're slowing down because the street is sort of indicating you should slow down. Because the problem in all these areas, and again, by Rose Hill, but pretty much every elementary school I can think of, you got straight wide roads, you know, where you're in your car, you're going to drive fast on straight wide roads, right? So it seems like a way to solve this that would also be just a lot prettier would be to, you know, think about more traffic calming. Yeah, and um, Northeast 80th Street is, um, it's really good feedback and Northeast 80th Street is a, um, is a good example, like a good example of that where we have, um, we, we have over the years, you know, narrowed 
the the lane the striping was redone when we repaved it to narrow the lanes um we've uh, also um added you know some other treatments along there but there are there continues to be other things that we can do to um make these streets uh feel narrower and um and manage speeds in other ways too and that's certainly something that we're interested in continuing to work on um in a lot of cases for example 132nd avenue northeast um for kamaikin and mirror um it really is the legacy of a street that was built in the late 90s it's it's just everything about it says 35 miles per hour and um and frankly it's it's one of those things where we're dealing with a lot of infrastructure that it feels like when we're trying to you know we're trying to turn the battleship and it just you know we can invest a lot of money and um and make a fairly small impact because there is such a huge investment that we are you know incrementally changing so but i think the point is really well taken and it is something that we we want to continue to endeavor to do um to see what we can do to to make people feel like they should be going slower yeah thanks that's right uh joel uh, i'm kind of new to this so can you give some background in terms of the cost i mean sustainability long terms and how the contract with the vendor is set up because i can see where there's diminishing returns in terms of violations and one over time and what are we burdened with long terms to support this investment capital capex and then opex Long-term? Yeah. Um, the, uh, the vendor provides the equipment and maintains it and, um, and also um, as long we they're in the agreement, we have a certain commitment to keep them in place. And, um, and then the um, the vendor gets um, a certain amount of um, the the revenue from the tickets. It's a fairly small amount. the The remainder comes to the city, and per the per the enabling legislation that the city put in place, all of our additional revenue goes to um, funding. Uh, school-related walking and biking projects. Um, so it's basically, you know, plowed back into, you know, the types of things we're trying to do. And, um, and so uh, it really does not, as long as the system is up and running for a, a given term, it does not um, cost the city uh, in terms of, um, in terms of that. Um, we also use the revenue from the um, the tickets to pay the support staff in the courts that administer um, the moving those tickets through the the um, the system. Yeah, and that kind of information would be good to also have as part of this presentation to see what what that other side looks like in terms of how many tickets have been issued, how many because you get. 
you know, I, I, I work in the tolling industry, right? It's like, it's another, it's another reason why people, the government is collecting monies. And so be able to answering, to answer that is that this is not meant for revenue augmentation, but more right. for a safety standard and to back in. That would be kind of helpful information in order to say, hey, yeah, this is not like another money-making endeavor by the government, but something that's actually, you know, providing impacts. So. Yeah, that's that's a really good point. And we, we really do try to emphasize the, the importance. I mean, the reason we do this is for safety and um, that that type of thing. Um, and uh, and there there is in the state law that enables this a requirement that the city report on some of those metrics. And so we do provide, um, I didn't include in this presentation, but I could share it with the commission, um, uh, the uh, police department reports out on some of those other metrics that you're asking about, kind of how that how that works, and they report out regularly. Okay, thank you. I'm going to raise, lower my hand and re-raise it because I want AJ and Shree to go before me. Um, I just have a comment. Um, so you mentioned that only if you go 26 MPH or higher, it's ticketed and anything from 20 MPH to 26 is considered like not on purpose, it's fine. But um, I think the second slide of your presentation showed that there's a difference between going 20 MPH and 30 MPH and how faculties increase. So there isn't a really big gap between 26 MPH and 30 MPH. So that's just to keep in mind. No, I think that is, um, that's a very good point. And I, um, and I, I think that the, the reason that it really was a, you know, a policy decision, like I use that term, it was a number that was picked as I think something that the that felt like the the community that could get behind because um, we do find that people that get these tickets in the mail um, are very they can be very upset and we're trying to kind of thread the um, needle of um, you know having getting the benefit of this program without creating too much of a, um, just frankly, you know, a, a backlash. And so it is, um, but I would say that overall the city of Kirkland, um, the community has been very supportive of, um, generally pretty supportive of these, of these cameras. And I think that speaks to the, the communities, the, the importance the community puts on um, safety and, um, and on uh, kids walking to school. Oh, AJ, I, I can't hear you again. Uh, it helps if I'm not muted on here. Ah, uh, the old was, double mute. <laughs> I was supposed to be holding that so that I would unmute it. Uh, <laughs> uh, I'm generally a fan of the uh, speeding cameras in school districts and did want to echo that uh, 
having that be up at having the speed be up at 26 for that maximum is it does seem high in terms of survivability of a small child getting hit by a car uh but i was mainly curious uh if in terms of uh traffic calming if there is space on those roads to put protected bike lanes like divided protected bike lanes with a a small barrier there as well to both improve the ability for people to use alternate modes of transportation and try to make the road even narrower try to get people to go slower uh, you know maybe put a concrete barrier there to protect bicyclists pedestrians you know make it make it so that you very much do not want to be driving too quickly uh, but yeah. that depends on lane width yes and we well both of these um both of the ones we have now um have been restriped in the last six years. They do not have any sort of barrier. They have been restriped with 10 foot lanes and buffered bike lanes where they used to have wider lanes and um, you know, four and a half, five foot wide bike lanes. Um, that has had, I think, um, a little bit of an impact in making the streets feel, feel tighter, but that is certainly something that we are trying to figure out um, over time kind of the best places to create better protected facilities beyond just the painted buffer and how to do that. That's something that you know definitely was in the an emphasis in the active transportation plan. Um, it is one of the sticky areas where we are trying to balance that with um, with the the maintenance impacts, um, particularly around sweeping and keeping those bike lanes clean is that it is um, much more challenging once we protect those protect those bike lanes to keep them um, clean. But that is um, something that we continue to kind of thread the needle on and figure out how we're going to do that. Yeah, I'd really like to echo that point because I think even in one of your slides where you were showing the traffic safety camera on, there's a car parked in the bike lane. <laughs> um, and so having something to keep cars that, you know, you know, maybe there to drop their kids off, which I see a lot on 84th, um, uh, out of the bike lanes um, and out of on 84th on the east side of the road, that's also the sidewalk. Um, and the cars, you know, it's families parking there to walk their kids across the street. Um, it's blocking families being able to walk on the sidewalk. Um, but I, I really, I like what Michelle had to say. And I think another kind of justification for that is um, when you shift from there being just sort of this school zone or um, school time concept, uh, like we only care about people crossing the street from, you know, during the drop off time in the morning, the pickup time in the afternoon to all times, then you're being more inclusive of all people who are um, accessing that part of the transportation system. And I think up on 
Um, Fen Hill on 84th is a particularly um, good example because not only do you have the schools there, you have Big Fen Hill Park there. And so all kinds of people are accessing that, um, crossing that space there because they're going to the park and not just to the schools and they're going to the park at all different times of day and days of week and times of year. Um, so I, I really like that. And the other thing that I was just thinking about when you were showing the, that graphic with the survivability rates and, um, uh, uh, you know, if, if more people are going slower, then it makes it more, feel more safe for people to walk, um, or ride their bike. It's also a bit of a, 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 a stick too, right? Because if you think I, um, I can drive my kid to school in five minutes if I'm going 40 miles an hour. If I can only go 20 miles an hour, it's going to take me 10 minutes. Well, by the time it takes me 10 minutes, I might as well walk to, you know, they might as well walk to school. So I think there's just, it's sort of this compounding um, benefit. And it's, I had a whole lot of thoughts to share there all at once. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. Yeah, I'll add on kind of a, Joel, as you had that graphic up, I think I saw a very similar presentation to Washed Up by Councilmember Pascal um, not too long ago on, on this. Um, and just thinking through that graphic about how, you know, if speed limits 25, people travel 30. And so no matter what the posted speed is, that always creeps up in that severity category. And thinking about driver behavior on these streets, what is the best way that as a, you know, as a city and as a community, we can work to make these areas safer? Um, Michelle, you had great comments on design, and you know, we've talked about that, about how there's, you know, that would be a great approach, but it's always tough with the, with the money um, to kind of wave a wand and um, have some things come in, or just um, the fact that many of the schools are along arterials, which are often the, the bigger roadways, which have those issues with driver behavior. And when we think of the other mechanism of enforcement to be able to encourage drivers to slow down, we don't have the police capacity to just you know, have those enforced all the time. And I think these cameras are a really good way to um, kind of encourage that behavior. Um, and I, I know the, the kind of the, the threshold for those tickets seems like it's at a very good level. Um, and so I just want to say that I really appreciate the program, all the effort that's gone into the evaluation of it and how it's being expanded as well. Thank you. Um, one other thing that we are wanting to do is see how, see if the, um, because we are collecting daily data, um, is see if the, the increased awareness around the school zone speed times, how that impacts driver behavior during the rest of the day. And if it does, we really don't um, know yet, but it is something that we're, um, we're you know, interested in looking at. Um, and then I, I, I will um, also wanted to really quickly highlight that we did based on our, in our, one of our items back in our May meeting, um, we talked about changing the speed limit on 84th Avenue from 35 to 30 um, in both Kirkland and Kenmore. And that has all since then been implemented and so the, um, the corridor is, um, that's been changed. And um, 
I don't think that was a, you know, it wasn't a particularly bold change. I mean, it was, it was based on our existing policy, um, but it sure uh, feels like a better speed than we had than the old King County posted speed of 35 miles per hour. But I just wanted yeah. to know that it happened. Joel, one thing that would be interesting from a city standpoint, if it would be possible as you know, speed policies being looked at throughout the city, um, even away from school zones of lowering speed limits, if there would be even like a temporary implementation of, of a facility like this that would kind of have automatic ticketing for when a speed limit zone is lowered um, to encourage kind of that transition and driver behavior. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. Oh, you're on mute, Kurt. AJ, do you have something else to add oh. there? Yeah, I just wanted quickly to clarify on the uh, diagram for the crash survivability. Is that uh, data for essentially average, the average crash? Uh, or uh, basically what I'm curious about is, uh, is are those statistics different for adults versus children that's a that's a it's an interesting question um i'll i don't want to get too far out from what i recall from looking at the data um i know that there have been some studies to look at that question um but I do not recall exactly what the results were. Um, I think the, the ones related to the different, like children specifically were pretty limited and they were kind of inconclusive in the end. Patrick. Yeah, I just had a follow-up question. Um, you know, there was on the on the slides. There was a good drop after you implemented beacon, you know, flashing beacon lights and so forth. Uh, working on ITS projects, you know, knowing there's compensatory behavior, right? You know, people behave better in a certain location, but they compensate for that lost time or lo that perceived lost uh, speed and so forth, and actually increase that and change their behavior. It might be interesting to see if there was there is some compensatory behavior here where they, they, they behave well in this school zone, but then they start booking it down the street, you know, outside of your data collection area. Um, I, I know it's a little tougher because you, as you spread out, there's more avenues, but just something to think about in terms of, yeah, it's great. You know, we're doing exactly what we're trying to do for right at the school, but did we create some, some things that were unintended just a little bit further away when people are actually speeding up because now they're, they're making up the lost time somewhere else, so. Good question. Um, that's a um, yeah. It's a hard one. I, I'm not it, saying that. So. I hadn't thought of that. It's it's a little depressing too, but um, it's it's true um, that yeah. you know, that's that is human behavior. It's fascinating the implications of some of these things on how it affects people elsewhere. Exactly, and and you know, is it worth that incremental savings in terms of you know that capital investment and 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 so forth, you know on that front, so. Yeah. yeah. Any other questions, comments, you know? Um, anything else to add, Joel? Nope, oh, thank you.
Yeah, thank you. I guess that brings us to the last item, which is some updates you had to share. Yeah, um, I have a few notes I wanted to highlight um, on the on the agenda. First, I wanted to mention the um, just make sure make sure everybody's aware of the uh, developments around free youth transit fares. So. Um, in the um, transportation package that the state legislature passed earlier in 2022, they included um, a significant amount of funding for to encourage uh, transit agencies around the state to, um, it was basically 16 years of funding to implement um, uh, no, uh, no cost fares for um, youth, basically 18 and under. And so, um, so that's a great encouragement tool. And in King County, um, just last week, the King County Council um, approved that, um, that mechanism um, for all King County Metro uh, routes that um, youth will still be required to get an ORCA card because they want to promote, you know, Orc card, you know, good orc card behavior um, when um, youths transition into being paying paying riders. Um, they also feel like it's a good way to um, uh, reduce conflicts around, you know, deciding what somebody's age is. Is if they have a card and it, you know, it, you, it works, then they're good. Um, they do. What I've heard is they do plan to be a little bit more lenient on that if they, you know. If it's a youth that, that looks eight year old, eight years old, not 17, 18 years old. Um, so that will take effect on September 1st. And between now and then, um, King County Metro will be working on getting um, ORCA cards out to into the community. And then also uh, Sound Transit will be taking action. The the one of the committees, the Rider Experience Committee. Um, uh, recommended and the board tomorrow will likely take action on, on doing the same thing for all sound transit, um, sound transit buses uh, and link light rail and BRT um, when it comes up and running. Um, sound transit uh, is doing that. It does impact their budget because they were not part of the grant program. It was only local transit agencies that received the the kind of subsidy funding from the state. Um, so, uh, but it is, it's exciting to know that that's the case. So, you know, tell your friends, um, but I wanted to make sure folks were aware of that. I also wanted to remind people that we are not having a commission meeting in August as, um, uh, as we, as we typically don't. Uh, oh, Faith. I just, um, this was something I'd actually been a little bit confused about uh, the timing of all this, because it, there's been all these messages out about um, free youth fairs, but it's for um, youth that are on, uh, I guess, free or reduced lunch at uh, schools. So they have some way of identifying um, youth who are already kind of economically disadvantaged. Uh, but it sounds like now it is expanding to all youth. Yes. Yep. So over the, I think over the summer, and they've had 
um, or, there's the ORCA lift program, which also applies to adults. Um, so this will be for all youth, anybody under 18 and under can ride for free. So it's pretty exciting. Um, so yeah, no commission meeting August. Uh, of course, as we all sit here, we know that the hybrid me meetings were delayed um, again. Um, we're hopeful that we'll be able to um, meet in September, um, but I think um, I think we'll maybe uh, Julie and I will stop committing to a month, and we'll just tell you when it's tell when tell you when we can. But we have been we have started conversation with our IT department and are um, getting trained up on how to run a um, uh, a hybrid meeting. And um, between uh, myself and um, and Zoom webinar 100, there um, we'll be able to uh, uh, we'll be able to to do to do that. Um, and uh, Zoom webinar 100, of course, is also known as Franz. So um, so between the two of us, we'll be able to kind of get that um, get that working and uh, make that work. Um, and we hope to do that in September. And then um, finally, I wanted to highlight the opportunity, if people are interested, that Cascade has um, their upcoming um, bike walk roll summit. Um, there, that is, let's see, it's at the end of, end of September. They're having a virtual conference and that is actually free with us. Um, they do suggest a small donation. Um, but they're also having an in-person conference on October 3rd. And we do have um, a small amount of budget uh, that is um, dedicated to, well, is kind of earmarked for commissioner um, education and that kind of thing. And so we would be able to, if there is a member of the, the commission who um, would be interested in attending, um, the city could, um, you know, fund the registration for that um, that that conference if um, somebody was interested in attending. So let Julie and I know, and we'll um, we'll work um, something out. But um, I just wanted to mention that that is a good opportunity. I've attended that conference in the past, and it's um, it is uh, the virtual one, and it's been pretty um, pretty interesting and good sessions and stuff like that. And so that is concludes my updates. Thank you, Joel. Um, any other comments from the commissioners or attendees right now before we adjourn? Ah, Michelle. Uh, so yeah, so I actually have something. I uh, Because we don't have a, a meeting next month, um, it's a little premature, but um, I've been offered a job uh, to work in Norway. So I'm gonna be moving. Uh, hopefully, I mean, we're still working on it. So that's why I haven't told anybody yet because it's um, we're still working on the details, but probably by September, uh, we'd probably be moved. So I will no longer oh. be here. But on the upside, well, Oslo is incredibly transit friendly. I'm super excited to go there and spend time there. Uh, we'll be there for two, two years, so it won't be permanent, but yeah. So this will be my last meeting, I guess. Wow. 
Well, congratulations. Yeah, thank you. Come back and bring us some good ideas. Yeah, definitely. Uh, they're, they're amazing. You know, 85% of their cars, new cars are electric. Um, their downtown is just so bike friendly and it's, it's just great. So they have an incredible Vision Zero program. Yeah. Um, the, the things that they've done are yeah. show what you can do when a country really commits to. Vision yeah. Zero. Yeah. When you when you walk around Oslo, the cars stop for you as you just approach a street. Like, it's not like here where you're like, can, can I cross? Like, they, <laughs> like it's, it's, it's just such a different place to be. And they almost get annoyed because I would slow down and look. Like, oh. <laughs> so I think we could, we could learn a lot for sure. Wow. Well, that's a great opportunity. Fantastic. Oh, I'll miss you. Yeah, this has been really fun. I'm, I'm sorry it hasn't been very long, but uh, I really enjoyed it and I've learned a lot too. So well, I enjoyed your input and uh, hearing what you have to say. Thanks. Anybody else? On that note, anybody else moving to some way out of the country? <laughs> <laughs> I thought about Spain, but you know, not why not right now. <laughs> uh well, thank you, everybody. Um, and I guess we're going to adjourn for this evening and then see you in, well, except for you, Michelle, in September. <laughs> August recess. Yeah. <laughs> Bye, everyone. Bye. It's been, it's been Bye. really fun. Good luck, Michelle. Thanks. Bye. Bye.